0: Well, it's great to be with you in this service and wherever you're at, I want to encourage you to just lean in with your heart. I believe God has a word for us. I believe he's got something he wants to say to us. In fact, the word that I believe God wants to speak to us about today is a word that God spoke to my heart at the beginning of this year. It's a word that as a church we've rallied around and that word is kingdom. I believe God wants to say something to us about his kingdom. Can I just say right here at the onset of this message, God has a kingdom agenda. He has a kingdom agenda. It's not an assembly of God agenda. It's not a Baptist agenda. It's not a Presbyterian agenda. It's not an American agenda. God has a kingdom agenda. And a lot of times, if we're honest, as the local church, we can even get a little bit confused about the church and the kingdom. The lines of understanding can get crossed between those two things. And and to be quite honest, I believe Martin Luther King Jr. was exactly on point when he said in 1963, the most segregated hour in this nation is Sunday at 11 a.m. Isn't that true? It's still true today. The most segregated hour in our culture, Sunday mornings, where we all go our separate ways into our own separate buildings. And I want to encourage you today with what I see happening because the church has left the building. I'm going to think about it. The church has absolutely left the building. And I I know that the reasons can be concerning. And it might look like an outbreak on the outside. But can I tell you what I see with eyes of faith? I see not just an outbreak. I see a breaking out of the church of Jesus Christ. I see God's kingdom going beyond the borders of brick and mortar. I see the kingdom of God advancing today potentially like never before. See, too many of us in the kingdom of God have limited God's kingdom to a time slot on the weekend or to the footprint of a facility. But God's kingdom agenda is not limited by the constraints that you and I can put on it. I don't know. I don't have stats to back this up. I don't know when the gospel has been proclaimed the most at any point in history. But if I was a betting man, If you ask me to to put my money down on when do I think the gospel of Jesus Christ has been proclaimed farther and wider in more places than anywhere else on the face of the earth. You know what date I'd pick? Today. Today. I'd pick today think about it because of technology because of the world that we live in right now through means like the ones that we're using to communicate the gospel I know it might feel like it's limiting us that that we have to stay in and we can't go places but can I tell you today the gospel of Jesus Christ is being streamed all over the world by more pastors and churches and preachers and believers today than maybe at any time ever in human history I'm going to tell you, regardless of what it looks like on the outside, God has a kingdom agenda. And if I'm honest, I got to tell you, I think the devil might be a little bit nervous today. Now, some people in our culture are nervous because of what they see in the news and on the headlines, but if we could peel back the curtain, if we could see what's happening in the heavenlies, I believe that maybe the devil's a little bit nervous today. In fact, I would say this. If there's a warning sign that hangs on the doorpost of hell, it's got to be the words that are recorded in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 14. I believe if there's a sign in hell, a warning, this is what that sign says. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. You know who said that? Jesus said that. And that ought to be an encouragement to the church Many times we look at the, the headlines and we look at, at at the things that are happening in our world and we wonder, is this the end? When will the end come? Well, there's lots of signs of the times, but Jesus said right here, what's going to happen before his return is this gospel of the kingdom is going to be preached to the ends of the earth. And I can't help but be a little bit excited today when I think about the reality that, that not just myself in our church, but that because of this coronavirus pandemic, churches all over this nation and around the globe are broadcasting the gospel into more homes and onto more computers and smartphones and iPads and more people are receiving the gospel right now than maybe at any other time. And who knows, but that for such a time as this, you and I were placed upon the earth. I believe God wants to do something powerful in this hour and in this moment, I want to encourage you to, to lift your eyes above the noise and above the fray and above the chaos that's happening in our world, and I want to challenge you today with me. Lift your eyes up to a kingdom. There's a kingdom that God is building, and, and, and I want to tell you about that kingdom today. See, the kingdom of God, like every kingdom, requires three things. Every kingdom requires a king. Every re- kingdom requires citizens, and every kingdom requires a reign or rule in that kingdom. So let me just begin this message by talking about the king. You know, it's interesting, of all the parables that Jesus ever preached about the kingdom, and he spoke about the kingdom more than, than anything else, there's something unique about the teaching in Matthew chapter 18. Uh, Let me just read a verse to you. It says in Matthew 18, 23, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Now, what's unique about this parable of the kingdom from the others is that in this parable, Jesus compares the kingdom not to a thing, but to a king. In this story, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like this, or the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a king. In other words, what Jesus was saying is, if you want to get a glimpse of what the kingdom of God is like, look at the king. Jesus is the embodiment of the kingdom. He alone truly fulfills all the demands of what the kingdom is. And see, when we understand that, it helps us to understand some of the things that the Bible talks about, about the kingdom. Because church, you know, as we've talked in in the previous few weeks, sometimes understanding the kingdom of God can be a little confusing. But if we'll get our eyes on the king, all of a sudden it starts to make a little more sense. The fact is that when you understand that Jesus is the key to understanding the kingdom, then we can start to realize why in the later writings of the New Testament, The phrase kingdom of God and the phrase kingdom of heaven isn't as apparent. We don't see it as many times. And the reason is because that phrase has been replaced with another phrase. That phrase, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, has been replaced with the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's no less dialogue about the kingdom, but the dialogue is focused in on the king, the farther into the New Testament writings you get. In fact, John, who wrote one of the four Gospels, but he was the last to write one of the Gospels, he replaced all of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven is like statements with statements like this, I am. He he just said Jesus is, not the kingdom is like Jesus is. I am, I am. Over and over he records Jesus' statements. Why? Because the kingdom is in the king. It explains to us when we understand this, even why Jesus' teachings were explicitly about the kingdom. He came, the Bible says, preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. And even though his message was explicitly about the kingdom, the message of Paul, the apostle, and the other apostles were actually about Jesus himself. Rather than preach about the kingdom, they preached about the king, and here's why, they got a hold of this revelation that Jesus is the kingdom. You want to know why 2020 ought to be all about the kingdom of God for us? Because every day of our lives ought to be about Jesus Christ, our king. Every day of your life, it ought to be about Jesus Christ, the king of kings. Acts 17:28 tells us, it says, in him, Jesus, we live and we move and we have our being. It reminds me of a story I read years ago about an art auction. There was an elderly man who he looked on with much satisfaction at his son, Mark, because Mark had become quite accomplished and experienced as an art collector. It was a passion that they shared together, father and son. And their art collection grew and grew until they had coveted pieces of art the world over. Until one day, as winter approached, war engulfed their nation, and Mark went off to serve his country. And only after a few short weeks did his father get a telegram saying that his son had died in the line of duty. He gave his life, saving the life of another soldier. As Christmas came that year, the old man was awoken by a knock at the door and he went to the door and he opened it and and he met a young soldier that was standing there and he was holding a package under his arm. The old man invited the soldier to come in and they sat and they talked and he learned that this soldier actually served with Mark in the infantry. The young man said, in fact, sir, I am the one that your son saved. Then the young man gave him the, the package, and as the old man opened it, it revealed a portrait of his son. The young soldier explained, Mark used to always talk about how much you loved art. Mark, Mark used to always talk about the collections that you had in your home. And Well, sir, I too am an artist, and so I painted this picture of your son for you. Immediately the father pushed aside pieces of art that were worth thousands and thousands of dollars and he made room right there above the fireplace for this picture. And he sat back in his recliner and he spent the rest of that Christmas day looking at that picture of his son as his heart was warmed. Quickly it became his most prized possession. And as winter turned to spring that following year, the old man passed away. As the story goes, art collectors all over the world were were, uh, coming to to collect the art pieces. They they couldn't wait for the, the day of the public auction so that they would have a chance at getting some of these prized art pieces. The old man insisted that the art collection take place on Christmas Day the day he received the most valuable art piece that he owned. And so on Christmas Day, people gathered around his house and the auctioneer stood up and he said, we're going to begin the auction with this piece. And he had on display the portrait painted by that young soldier. It was not a piece of art that anyone in the art world would have looked at as the work of a genius. In fact, someone in the back of the room said, that's not what we came here for. Show us the good stuff. And the auctioneer said, no, there were very specific instructions that we have to sell this piece first. And so he said, could we begin the bid at $100? Who'll give me $100? who will give me 100 No one said anything. The crowd became more agitated. They said, come on. Nobody cares about a portrait of this old man's son. Get to the real artwork. Who'll give me a 100? Who'll give me a 100? Till finally, one little old man lifted up his hand and he said, I'd like to have the piece. I knew the boy. Would you take $10 for it? It's all I've got. So reluctantly, the auctioneer looked around and he said, I've got 10. Who'll give me more? I've got 10 going once. I've got 10 going twice, three times. And he slammed the gavel down and he said, sold. Everybody erupted in applause. Everybody said, now we can finally get on with this thing. Bring out the expensive pieces. And what happened next surprised the crowd. The auctioneer tapped the gavel And he said, this auction is closed. Have a good day. The people were angry. As you can imagine, the people said, what are you talking about? It's Christmas Day. We've come all this way. Explain yourself. And the auctioneer said, it's very simple. The instructions were very clear. The father said, the one who takes the son gets it all. And can I tell you, That's the way the kingdom works. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Can I encourage you today? It is so easy to get ourselves preoccupied with the things that seem to have earthly value, but if we're going to be about the kingdom, we've got to first prioritize the king. And we've got to choose the king. And if you choose the king, you get it all. But Jesus said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet lose his soul? The kingdom has to have a king. And our kingdom is centered on King Jesus. The second thing I mentioned is that a kingdom has to have citizens. I think it was John Maxwell that I heard say, if you're leading and nobody's following, you're just taking a walk. (laughs) It's that way in the kingdom. You can't have a leader without followers and you can't have a king without subjects. And so this series that we're in as a church began with us talking about the original kingdom that God established in heaven. His subjects were the angels. The angels served him. But a third of the angels followed that rebellious angel, Lucifer. And because they followed him in rebellion, they were kicked out of heaven down to the earth. And, and God started a new civilization called mankind, formed in the very image of God. And the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is all about God's desire to have a people that thrive as his civilization in his kingdom. That's what the whole book is all about. And you know what? For the first two pages, that's what we have. For the first two pages of your Bible, we have a kingdom of humanity that thrives as the citizens of God's kingdom. God made Adam and Eve in his own image. He placed them in the garden. He gave them dominion and authority to rule and to govern. The Bible says in Genesis 1:27 and 28, so God created mankind in his own image. God blessed them, it goes on to tell us. He blessed them. And so everything in God's kingdom was aligned until Lucifer came. In the form of a serpent, Satan deceived Adam and Eve. And and when he deceived them, they forfeited their God-given authority. They forfeited the dominion and the power that God had given them. In that moment, when sin entered the story, they broke the kingdom covenant. See, if a kingdom is going to be strong, then the citizens in that kingdom have to be submitted to the laws of that kingdom. We understand that. Even right now, we're in such a unique time in our, in our lives. Right now, we're, we're practicing social distancing, trying to, to keep a, a safe zone and a safe space from other people. We're, we're quarantining our families. I'm, I'm preaching to an empty house because we're trying to do what? We're trying to obey the laws and the suggestions of our land. And many of the things that started out as suggestions are now turning into laws because people don't listen. And we can look at Adam and Eve, and we can say, how could they do that? Why would they do that? But come on, you and I know the apple didn't fall far from the tree. We are just like our father, Adam. And there's something in us that wants to just push the envelope, toe the line, go as far as we can go. And so there's there's laws and there's things that are put in place. And, and some of us, we we look at Adam and, and we say, Why would you do that? And at the same time, we look at other people today. And we say, Don't you know that that they're putting these things in place for your own good? And God would say the same thing about the laws that He's given us in His Word. He would say, These are not to, these are not to restrain you, these are for your good. I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to, I'm trying to sustain you. So for the rest of the Bible, after the fall in Genesis 3, what we see is a God who is redeeming people for himself out of Adam's fallen race. He, he's saving the seed. And all through the word of God from Genesis 3:15 on. God is restoring a kingdom civilization. I mentioned a few weeks ago, church, that that Genesis 3.15 might be the most important verse in all the Bible. I want to read it to you again. Here's what it says. And this is God speaking prophetically to Satan in the garden who has come in the form of a serpent. He says this to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman. Between your offspring and hers, or other translations say between your seed and her seed, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Jesus in that moment, or God, the father rather says to the devil, here is the plan. Here is the kingdom agenda. I am going to send the seed of woman and you're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And as you read through the Bible, you recognize that all along, it's the story of God bringing this seed to fulfillment and bringing this promise to fulfillment. We know Adam and Eve had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel because Abel was righteous and God favored him. And so we see God uh, God advances the seed to the next generation, but immediately the enemy's there to snuff it out because Cain killed Abel. But the Bible says a little bit later that, that God gave Adam and Eve another son. His name was Seth. And Seth was born, and they said they named him Seth because God has granted me another Child. And it's interesting that when Seth was born, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 4, verse 26, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. But by the time you get to Genesis 6, the Bible says that mankind was so wicked because the fallen angels had fornicated with women and created a a demonized race. And humanity had become so corrupt that God said he was going to destroy it all. He was going to destroy everything. But right in Genesis 6, verse 8, it says this, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Can I just say to you, never underestimate the significance of one person who does right in the eyes of God. Never underestimate the significance of one person who stands against the tide of their generation and says, I'm going to honor the Lord. Noah chose to honor God. See, God's looking for that right now. He's looking for people that will be the exception. He's not looking for exceptional people. He's just looking for people that will be the exception. Exceptional because they choose to stand up for Christ. Even if you have to stand alone. Noah did that. He stood alone and God used him. God used him in a powerful way to save his family and to save the animals through the ark. And then you move forward into Genesis chapter 11 and and all of a sudden they have another command from God to go out. It sounds like what God told him in Genesis 3. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to multiply. You're going to cover the earth but in Genesis 11, instead of covering the earth, they hunkered down in the plain of Shinar. And the people decided, we're gonna build a tower and make a name for ourselves. Can I tell you, there's a lot of people, that's their agenda. It's not a kingdom agenda. It's a, a selfish agenda that says, we're gonna make a name for ourselves. And so God came down while they were building the Tower of Babel, and it says He confused their languages. He confused their languages. And the place was called Babel, because God recognized that in such short time, they had come together and become so wicked that they they made this statement, we will build a name for ourselves. And so God recognized that if, if they can do this in such short time, there's no limit to their depravity. There's no limit to how far they could fall. And so God confused their languages. That's why diversity is such a beautiful thing. See, diversity, it communicates the grace of God. God knew that they were going to fall into sin, that they were going to fall into wickedness. And so he, he changed the languages and he spread the people out over the face of the earth. And he gave us a beautiful diversity and a beautiful picture of grace. And then in Genesis chapter 12, God shifts his focus from all people to a people. And he calls Abraham. Why? Because he's protecting the seed. Because he's fulfilling the promise that he said in Genesis 3.15, that this seed of mine will crush the head of the serpent. And so he tells Abraham, I'm going to bless you. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be a father of many nations. And everyone on the face of the earth is going to be blessed through you. And so throughout the rest of the Old Testament, here's what we see. We see God protecting and delivering and advancing the seed of Abraham. It goes from Abraham to Isaac and from Isaac to Jacob, whose name would be changed to Israel. And he would have 12 sons that we know as the 12 tribes of Israel. One of those being Joseph, whom God gave wisdom to protect and rescue his family during a famine. Many of you know how that story played out. God delivered the people, but then the Egyptians put the Hebrew people under bondage. And for 400 years, they cried out in captivity. But God raised up another man. He raised up Moses. And Moses came to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And God used him to deliver the seed out of captivity. But God's plan was never just to get you out of the bad stuff. His plan's always been to get you into the promise. And so he raised up another man named Joshua. And Joshua got the people out of the wilderness and into the promised land. And we see the story unfold as God continually rescued his people. But yet we see the, the people continually falling away from God, being captured either by enemies around them or by idolatry within them, the people continued to be captured. And yet time and time again, God would raise up a judge. He'd raise up a hero. He'd raise up a prophet like Samuel. But the people, they wanted a king like all the other nations. They wanted an earthly king. And so finally, he gave them the desires of their heart, and they got King Saul because Saul looked the part. And aren't we quick to try to follow people that look the part? But Saul didn't have the right heart. And God chose another man. God chose David. David, the eighth son of Jesse. And he said, man looks on the outside, but God is looking at the heart. And he chose David to be the next king. And he said he would establish his throne. Well, eventually that kingdom was divided. It was torn in two. The temple was even destroyed that was built and erected to the glory of God. But yet God continued to raise up people. He raised up men like Zerubbabel. He raised up men like Nehemiah and Ezra who would rebuild again. Why? Because God always had a remnant people. Until finally you get to the end of the Old Testament. And then there's 400 years of silence. No more prophecies. No more utterances. And it looks like God's not doing anything. And then we come to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, and it says this. But when the set time had fully come, what time was that? It was referring to the time that was set in Genesis 3.15 when God said, I'm going to send my seed And he's going to crush the head of the serpent. When that set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. And so when you open up the New Testament and you go to the beginning of Matthew chapter 1, God's no longer protecting the seed. God becomes the seed. And it says in Matthew 1, 18, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. See, that's so important. Jesus was born by the Holy Spirit because Jesus wasn't born with a sinful nature. He lived a sinless life. He preached about the kingdom of God and how it was coming near. And then he died a sacrificial death on the cross. And three days later, he rose triumphantly from the grave, demonstrating his power and his authority and his dominion as the king. And just like Genesis chapter 3 prophesied, John chapter 3 tells us, why he came. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in Him stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. The one and only Son of God is Jesus, and that name means the Lord saves. That's God's kingdom agenda. And it's manifest in the person, in the king, Jesus. And Jesus, before he ascended back up into heaven, the Bible says his disciples gathered around him and he commissioned them. He said, all power and authority has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Do you know what Jesus did in that moment? Jesus said, here, I've done it. I've accomplished the mission. I came as the fulfillment of the Genesis 3 prophetic word, and now now I'm giving you the authority and the kingdom back. He said, all the authority has been given to me. Now I'm giving it back to you, church. And in Acts chapter 2, just a few days after that moment with Jesus, the Bible says the spirit of Jesus came and fell on the church as they gathered and prayed in the upper room. And they were filled with power and enablement so that they could fulfill the mission that God had given us. It's our mission. It's your mission. And that's why when Paul talked about who we are the blood-bought, the saved, the redeemed people of God, filled with the Spirit of God and the power of God. When he described us, this is how he did it. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, we have a citizenship, but it's in heaven. That's where we were made for. It's where we're headed. It's the culture that we should reflect in the earth today more than anything else. When Peter talked about our citizenship and our identity in Christ in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 9, he said this, he said, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful Light. Look at look at verse 10. It says once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He's saying in this moment, this is who you are. You're a chosen people. He says, this is what you're called to do. You may declare the praises of him. And then he says, why we're called to do it? He says, we're called to do it because you were called out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Peter said, we're a priesthood. Paul, the apostle said, we are ambassadors. We're representatives of Jesus and of his kingdom. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says, we therefore are Christ ambassadors. As though through God, we were, God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. See, when you become a citizen of the kingdom of God, you get all kinds of titles. I mean, he calls you an ambassador. He called, you're called a, a part of the royal priesthood. You're called ministers of reconciliation. You want to know why we ought to be focused on the kingdom of God right now more than anything else? Because we have kingdom business to do. Because we're in this earth for a purpose. We are to represent Christ, our king. We ought to be like Jesus was when he was just a boy in the temple courts and his parents were looking for him. They finally found him and he looked at his mom and his dad and he said, did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? What have you been up to lately? Well, you might say, well, not much. I mean, I can't go anywhere. But you ought to say the same thing as Jesus, regardless of where you're at physically, you ought to say, I'm busy about my father's business. Why? Because we're citizens of the king. We have a place in his kingdom. That's why when we do a a new members class in the church, we often say that church membership is not about perks and privileges. It's about a recognition of responsibility. It's not about getting on the, the ends with high society or people of influence. It's, it's, it's not about extra blessings because you join a church. No, we become a part of the church because we recognize that God called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And he's given us an assignment. See, we just simply believe here that the lost should be saved and the saved should be serving. That's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ that if God has saved you, you ought to serve somebody because that's how the kingdom of God operates. And listen, Jesus didn't save us to rescue us from the world. Jesus saved us to rescue us from the evil one. He saved us and called us into this world. We don't have an escapist theology. God has called us here. You're on assignment. You are the civilization of the kingdom of God. You're his representatives here in the earth, and it's up to you, and it's up to me to advance his kingdom. Let me tell you quickly about this third attribute of every kingdom, and that is reign. That is a rule. Both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the term kingdom is very rarely used in a static sense. Most cases when the word kingdom is used, it's understood as dynamic in nature. In fact, most places when you, when you read the word kingdom, speaking about the kingdom of God, it could more accurately be translated as the rule of God or the reign of God. Because that's what it's talking about when we talk about the kingdom of God. And the Bible is very clear. Jesus understood this. Jesus looked at the kingdom of God as the rule of God more than he looked at it as, as a physical location or a future destination. I quoted the verse earlier, but I want to say it again. In Matthew 6.33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. So he wasn't saying the kingdom is a physical place any more than he was saying righteousness is a physical place. He said, seek first the kingdom and righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That doesn't mean we go on a scavenger hunt looking for a territory called the kingdom. That's not what he's saying to us. It means that we prioritize our life. We prioritize our motives and our heart. Around the rule and the reign of God. Listen, if COVID 19 and this quarantine has taught us anything at all about the church, it's this: it's that the church is not limited to a building. We're not limited to a building, we're not limited to a geographic location. Praise God that the church has left the building. There's some people in Christendom today that they've never associated their faith outside of an experience on a weekend at a location. But I pray that God would give us a revelation that his kingdom is not limited to a geographic location or a future destination. His kingdom is here. His kingdom is now and it lives in us. Why? Because the kingdom is about the reign of God in our lives. In Mark chapter 10, verse 15, it says, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will not enter it. Again, he's not talking about receiving earthly property or or a future place in heaven. He's saying like a little child, you ought to submit to kingdom authority. Like a little child, you you ought to let him rule in your life. Submit to his kingship and his governance in your choices, and your actions, and in your conduct. See, if you only seek God's kingdom as a physical place or a future destination, you're going to miss it. You're going to miss what God is doing right now in the earth. But when you realize that his kingdom, dominion, is not just about A space or or a future home in heaven, when you realize that his kingdom dominion also includes your heart and your head and your habits, the way you live your life, when you recognize that all of a sudden you have the opportunity to experience all of the benefits of the kingdom, even now, even right there where you sit you can experience the blessing of the kingdom. Why? Because his reign, it includes your heart. That's why Colossians chapter three in verse 15 says this. And this is such a powerful word for us today. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What was Paul saying? He was saying, let the, the reign of God, let the reign of his kingdom also reign and rule in your hearts. The question is, are you going to let his kingdom rule and his peace rule in your heart? Because his kingdom is available. It's available right where you're at. It extends to where you are. But you have to choose to be a part of it. You have to choose the king. And when you do, when you choose the king, all of a sudden you get the spirit of the king in your life. See, we ought to be all about the kingdom because we need, like never before, we need Jesus to rule and to reign in our hearts, in our habits, in our head. We need his kingdom to be so much more expansive than the the local church on the corner. We need God to invade our living room. We need God to invade our marriages. We need God to invade uh, our child rearing. And we need God to invade the workplace. We need God's kingdom reign to, to rule in hospital beds right now. We need the kingdom of God to advance way beyond the limitations that you and I want to put on it. I want to challenge you with this thought that the kingdom is now. The kingdom has always been about... A king and like I said in that story earlier when you choose the son you get the rest when you choose the son you get the rest can I challenge you today to prioritize Jesus Christ as the king of your heart as the Lord of your life he is the king of the kingdom and we are his citizens in his kingdom that ought to give us hope in times like this when we see earthly civilizations being so frail the things that we think are strong i mean in a moment all of a sudden they're proven to be weak they're proven to not be able to stand on their own it ought to encourage every christian to know that i have a citizenship in heaven and it ought to challenge us personally on a very practical level to represent that kingdom, to remember that you're a part of a royal priesthood, that you are an ambassador of reconciliation. You are here in Christ's stead. Represent him well. And can I challenge you that the kingdom of God is about his rule. If there's any area in your life today that is not submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I wanna challenge you. I wanna invite you right now to just give Jesus his rightful seat on the throne of your heart. Give him his place on the throne of your life and say, Jesus, I submit to your authority. I surrender. I come like a child and I submit to your Lordship. I want to pray for you right now. I want to ask the Lord to to move right where you're at in your heart and in your life. And, And I want to invite you to just close your eyes right where you are and just block everything out except what the Spirit of the Lord wants to speak to you in this moment. God, I pray right now for anyone that's watching this service online that is far from you God, anyone that's watching this service that doesn't have a relationship with you, anyone who's watching this service online that has allowed sin to separate them from you. God, we are all so much like our father Adam. We all run after things that are outside of your kingdom agenda. But God, by your grace, The same way you clothed him and gave him a second chance. Lord, I believe you want to clothe someone even now. Lord, cover us with your grace. Cover us with your righteousness. Father, in Jesus' name, let the church represent you like never before. God, in this hour, we need the kingdom to be very visible outside of the four walls of our church buildings. God, let the church shine. Let us reflect your glory. Let us reflect your kingdom. And God, empower us by your Holy Spirit to submit ourselves every day to your rule and to your reign. Fill us with your spirit. Enable us to live as your ambassadors. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for staying with me to the end of this message listen if god's done something in your heart in your life today i want to encourage you to respond now if we were gathered on a sunday morning i might ask you to raise your hand i might ask you to come forward so that we could pray for you but i want to ask you to respond you've seen the links to going to our connect card maybe even want to just in the comments Make a statement. Be bold in your faith and say, I'm choosing to surrender my life to Jesus today. Maybe you want to make a comment and say, I'm giving my all to Jesus. I am a citizen of his kingdom. I want you to know that we're going to continue to pray for you and we're going to continue to bring the gospel to you in whatever means that are available to us. It may look like this next time. It may look different. I don't know, but I know this. The kingdom of god is still advancing and he wants to advance through you so i pray god's blessing on you have a wonderful week we're praying god's peace and god's healing on you and we'll talk again soon god bless